Women have been playing football for more than 150 years, and it's always been political. Some have been celebrated, but others have been ridiculed, criticized, and forgotten. This is the Forgotten 11, the hidden history of women's football. I'm not going to the White House. No. You know, there was a lot of critics talking about us, but we're back, so suck in that one. <laughs> Give me the effing ball. Playing like a girl means you're a badass. Hi, welcome to the Forgotten 11. I'm Chris McGlynn. Today on the show, we'll continue with the rebellion against FIFA. But first, March is Women's History Month, and the She Believes Cup starts on March 5th. If you didn't know it, I'm a big fan of women's sports and women's history. And I would really like to get the word out about these remarkable women. It's not just a sports story, it's also a right story. So please share the show on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever. Leave a review where you listen, and tell your friends. The more people that know this history, the less we have to hear from the male chauvinist trolls about the women's game being less popular or not as good. Okay, today, the rebellion continues, and it's in Asia. Agency is the capacity or ability of a person to do something. The important part of agency is that you get to choose your own actions and then do them. From the point of view of human rights and human dignity, agency has to be something a person does without the intervention of others. So for example, if you want to pick up a rock, great, you don't have to ask me or anyone else if you're allowed to pick up that rock. But we live in societies. Our societies put limits on what we do. Some of those limits are easy to see, like don't steal things. But others are much more difficult. In 1919, in the United States, women earned the right to vote. Well, white women anyway. But in 1970, more than 50 years later, women can't get a credit card on their own. It's difficult for them to buy a house on their own. Even though women throughout the world have rights, they aren't equal rights. In 1970, in the United States, a woman had to ask permission from her a husband, a brother, a father, or a friend to buy a house or a car. And that man also had to say that he'd pay for it if she can't. And that means that guy is involved in that woman's life kind of permanently. And this relates to soccer as well. The fact that FIFA and the English FA and other FAs banned women from playing was an attempt to deny women agency. Whether it's football or a credit card, these are all attempts, socially and legally, to deny women full personhood, to say that they are less than full citizens, less than full athletes. Rights usually come with a fight. If you're not the one making the rules, you have to fight for those rights. Women's football is not just about women playing a sport. Unlike men's soccer, women's football is about fighting to get on the pitch. Unlike men's football, women's football is partly a story about human rights. And this particular story is kind of unique in world history. Just as an example, the civil rights struggles of Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi are stories of one group of people demanding their rights in a single country from a single government. The story of women's football is part of the story of every woman in every country fighting a single fight against sexism and discrimination. 
Today I'd like to introduce you to two of these women, who you've probably never heard of. Tun Sharifa Rodzia of Malaysia and Veronica Chan of Hong Kong. Tun Sharifa Rodzia was the wife of a former Prime Minister of Malaysia. In 1957, Malaysia became an independent country, independent of the British Empire. The women of this new country got their right to vote at this time and almost immediately started playing organized football. In 1960, Malaysian women hold their first domestic tournament. Today, the Malaysian Women's League trophy is called the Tun Sharifa Rodzia Cup. And Veronica Chan was a women's football enthusiast from a wealthy Hong Kong family. In Hong Kong, Chan is sometimes known as the mother of the Women's World Cup. In April of 1968, Tun Sharifa Rodzia, representing Malaysia, contacted Veronica Chan from Hong Kong and representatives of ta from Taiwan and Singapore and created the Asian Ladies Football Confederation. Tun Sharifa Rodzia became the president and Veronica Chan became the vice president. In 1986, they become part of the Men's Asian Football Confederation and the FIFA infrastructure. That's 18 years out in the football wilderness. So without FIFA recognition or funding, what were they doing for almost 20 years? Well, they were organizing Women's World Cups. In the 1920s, Veronica Chan grew up playing football in the streets of Hong Kong with her brothers. In her words, she never liked playing with dolls as a kid, but she loved football. When she grew up, there was no women's league in Hong Kong. So, in 1960, Veronica Chan created the Hong Kong Ladies Football Association to get things started. She also created and funded several women's teams in Hong Kong. In 1968, Tun Sharifa Rodzia contacted Veronica Chan about creating a Hong Kong international team. With very little training, Malaysia and Hong Kong played their first international women's matches that we know of in 1968. At the same time, they created the Asian Ladies Football Confederation. Their initial intent was to get doors open for the women's game. They immediately set to work contacting women in other Asian countries to try to work together to lobby FIFA and regional confederations to recognize the women's game. These women knew people at high levels in men's soccer, and they were hoping to leverage those contacts to help move the women's game forward. By the 1970s, they've asked FIFA directly about recognizing the women's game and even creating a Women's World Cup. Even after the ban is lifted in 1971, FIFA's response to the Asian Ladies Football Confederation is a less than polite, football is a man's game. One thing I can tell you about Veronica Chan and Tun Sharifa Rodzia is that they were not women to be taken lightly. In 1975, they created the Asian Women's Championship which Veronica Chan paid for entirely out of her own pocket. The tournament is played in Hong Kong. On the 25th of August, 1975, Thailand, Australia, Singapore, New Zealand, Malaysia, and Hong Kong kick off the first Asian Women's Championship. 
Played over the next two weeks with two matches a day in Hong Kong Stadium, crowds grow from 2,500 to nearly 12,000 at the final matches. The final, final sees New Zealand's Marilyn Marshall score twice and Nora Hetherington score once. Thailand's Wan V. Lai Thangsa got a goal, but Thailand couldn't manage any more. With the success of this tournament, Veronica Chan and the Asian Ladies Football Confederation sent a letter to FIFA on February 10, 1976, informing them that the Asian Ladies Football Confederation and Hong Kong would be organizing and hosting the Women's World Cup, with or without FIFA. The Republic of China Football Confederation, or Taiwan, not mainland China, recognized and sanctioned women's soccer around 1975. FIFA had painted itself into a corner here. They had lifted the ban on women's soccer, but they weren't recognizing it. And now Taiwan and Hong Kong and other Asian associations were. FIFA, not knowing what else to do, said, just don't call it a World Cup. Call it something else. FIFA also requested that the various federations not send any teams, trying to kill it before it got started. Remember that women are playing all over the world in spite of FIFA. It took more than a year to organize, but in 1978, the Asian Ladies Football Confederation, along with Taiwan's Confederation, the Republic of China Football Confederation, host the Women's World Invitational Tournament. And they're going to offer the teams that do come something else. In addition to the chance to play in a Women's World Cup, the two confederations will pay for all the team's expenses. Everything. You apparently don't say no to these women. Three official national teams participate. Australia, Taiwan, and Thailand. There were two semi-official national teams from England and Denmark. The rest were club teams. They put on their country's kit for the tournament. These teams were Polynesia from the Kingdom of Hawaii, Hakus from Sweden, Helsinki from Finland, Stade de Rem from France, Union SC Lantos from Austria, SV Seebach from Switzerland, the Roadrunners from Canada, and Sting Soccer Club from Dallas in the United States. It took until October 1978 to get this tournament organized. The World Cup that was called the Women's World Invitational Tournament. Over the course of that month, there were more than 40 matches played with a group stage and a knockout and an odd quirk. Rather than just a final and a third place match at the end, the teams played out the entire table, meaning that they played matches for 1st through 13th place, which means more football. And I'll quote Veronica Chan here. I never got sick of football. It'll be nonstop until my last breath. Women's activities still aren't successful. I can't stop. It's nonstop. Everything is nonstop. I'm still interested. It's in my blood. Look, all football, football, football. The tournament start was delayed by a typhoon. 
and the city of Taipei was flooded, which made it difficult to even get to the matches. Soldiers were brought in to dry out the stadiums and the pitches with mops and buckets. The shortened schedule meant some matches had to be played during the day, which meant lower attendances. But even with that, matches still drew crowds of between five and 25,000 fans. René Delahaye, captain of the French team, said this about the teams. Some of the teams, like Helsinki and Sting SC, were very gifted technically. They already had a certain amount of experience at the top level. Watching Sting play in Taiwan in 1978, we thought that if soccer were to develop in the U.S., then the U.S. women would be very strong. The final results were a tie for first place between Helsinki and Stade de Rurem from France, then Taiwan, Sting in fourth, Seabach, Hawkes, then Denmark, Australia, Thailand, a second Taiwan team, and the last four were England, Landas, Polynesia, and Canada's Roadrunners. The tournament, despite the floods, was a commercial success. So the Asian Ladies Football Confederation said, yes, more of this. In 1981, again in Taiwan, the Asian Ladies Football Confederation held their second This Is Not a World Cup, World Cup. This time there were 14 teams. And again, there are official national teams and unofficial club teams representing their countries. The official teams are two teams from Taiwan, one from Haiti, India, New Zealand, the Philippines, and Thailand. The club teams were Burgish Gladbach for Germany, Zartwit for the Netherlands, SV Seebach for Switzerland, BUL Oslo from Norway, FC Vendenheim from France, Helsinki from Finland, and the Sting are back from the United States. The new teams are great and show that women's football is expanding in 1981, but you may notice some teams are missing, like Australia and Veronica Chan's beloved Hong Kong side. Well, they didn't disappear. Remember that this is a rogue tournament, and that means most of the teams are self-funded. The Asian Women's Championship also happened in 1981. And there was also another Women's World Cup that wasn't a World Cup that happened in September 1981. Teams can only afford so many trips, and many of the players also have full-time jobs outside of football. Australia and Hong Kong play in the Asian Women's Championship that year instead of the Women's World Cup called the Women's World Invitational. The final results of the 81 Women's World Invitational, this is not a World Cup, were Burgish Gladbach of Germany, New Zealand, Taiwan for first through third, Oslo, Helsinki, and Seebach for fourth through sixth, Zartwit, Thailand, and the Sting for seventh through ninth, Vendenheim, Taiwan's B team, and India for 10th through 12th. And last, Haiti and the Philippines. In 1984, they do it again, and again in Taiwan. This time there were five national teams. Australia, Taiwan, teams A and B, New Zealand, and Thailand. The club teams were 
uh, California Select, or the best of California in the U.S., Bergisch Gladbach of Germany, a Japanese 11, Polynesia again, SV Seebach, and a Norwegian 11. This time we only know the top six teams. First were Bergisch Gladbach, then uh, Taiwan's two teams for first through third, New Zealand, Australia, and Norway for fourth through six. FIFA has a problem here, and it's not going away. At least for now, it's far away. These three Women's World Cups in Taiwan are proving to be popular. And the football associations in Asia are beginning to recognize and sanction women's soccer. In 1986, the Asian Ladies Football Confederation merged with the Asian Football Confederation, but they were still in charge of the women's game in Asia. Toon Sharifa Rodzia and Veronica Chan along with the Asian Ladies Football Confederation, had forced their way into FIFA through the Asian Football Confederation. It took staging three unofficial World Cups and the creation of the Asian Women's Championship. But women's football in Asia is officially sanctioned by FIFA in 1986. And that means if these women were to hold another tournament, it would be sanctioned by FIFA, even if FIFA wouldn't say so. In December of 1987, Australia, Canada, Taiwan, two teams, Hong Kong, Japan, New Zealand, the U.S., sort of, send national teams. Along with Bergisch, Gladbach of West Germany, and Polynesia from the Kingdom of Hawaii, they play in the final Women's World not a cup, invitational tournament. There are three groups at this tournament. The first is Taiwan, New Zealand, and Polynesia. The second is the US, Japan, and two-time champions, Bergisch Gladbach of Germany. The third group is Canada, Australia, Taiwan's second team, and Hong Kong. Taiwan and New Zealand top group one, the US and Bergisch Gladbach for group two, and Canada and Australia for the third. And here, things get a little weird again. There is no knockout stage at this World Cup. From December 15th to the 20th, the six remaining teams will play a full league, meaning each of the six teams will play all other five teams. All six teams will play a match a day for five days with only one day off. If you're a football fan, that means you get to watch three matches a day for almost a week. If you're a player, that means you're probably going to be exhausted by the second or third match. The final standings have Taiwan's A-team in first, followed by the U.S., two-time winner Bergisch Gladbach in third, then New Zealand, Canada, and Australia. The bottom four teams also played three matches apiece over the course of three days to put Japan in seventh, then Taiwan's B-team, Polynesia, and Hong Kong in last. If you're a football fan, that's 21 matches in six day, days. Veronica Chan again. I'm still interested. It's in my blood. Look, all football, football, football. And the U.S. team might be of interest here. The players are listed as Allman, McCarthy, Henry, Gordon, Lilly, Akers, Higgins, Beefield, Jennings, 
Gebauer, Ham, and Heinrichs. The Asian Women's Championship is still played every two or three years to this day. Eventually, FIFA did recognize this rebel tournament, and it serves as one of the tournaments that helps Asian teams qualify for the FIFA Women's World Cup. And I should mention Veronica Chan here again. From 1975 till 1991, when the Asian Women's Championship was taken over by FIFA officially, Veronica Chan paid for all of it. Here she is again. It cost me about $30 million at least. The whole world knows me for this. I think I'm a crazy woman. And remember Toon Sharifa Rodzio? She was the first president of the Asian Ladies Football Confederation. While Malaysia's women were not doing much internationally, Malaysia does have a pro or semi-pro women's league. And their championship match every year they play for the Toon Sharifa Rhodesia Cup. Thanks for listening, as always. Don't forget to share the show, leave a review, and tell a friend. Check out the show notes for extra info and for the Slack channel where we... You can find uh, other goodies about these women and join the discussion. And if you're a musician or no one, I'm happy to promote your music on the show if I can use it on the show. Next time on the show, the rebellion continues and the U.S. Women's National Team arrives. <laughs>